morning we are in Luke chapter 2, continuing our journey of looking at all of the places that we find Christ as a baby. In the message, Emmanuel, we saw him first in the womb, speaking of his humanity. Next, we saw him in the manger, speaking of his humility. And this morning we see him in the temple, which is the place that we would imagine to see the Son of God. This definitely references His deity or His holiness. In Luke chapter 2, I know it says verse 22 on the screen, but I want to back it up to verse 21 um, and read a little lengthy text this morning. From verse 21 down to verse 38, it says, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, His name was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, that a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons... And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms... And bless God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. For my eyes, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter, a tribe of Asher. She was of great age and lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of Him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Let me stop there. We saw God place His Son in the womb of Mary, showing that He would be Uh, among us, be one of us, but yet be apart from us, and that His Father is God. He he was wrapped in human flesh, but indeed was flesh clothed um, over divinity. He was 100% man and 100% God, so He was able, sufficient to pay the penalty for our sins, uh, to meet the requirements of God's law. We saw when God placed Him by divine providence in that manger or feed trough, 
um, there in those stables, we saw really more about the nature of God. That here, the greatest event, one of the greatest events, but at that time, it was the greatest event in human history. Uh, here, God places His Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords, in this smelly uh, stable full of straw and hay. And even though it was an unlikely place to find a king, we see that it does indeed speak volumes of the nature and the character of God, that He was not ashamed to put his son in the lowliest of places so that he could better associate perfectly with those of low degree. And this morning we see him in the temple. And again, this is a place where we would expect the Son of God to be. And as you'll see in the story this morning, there are others who expected to see God in this place. And I want to take a moment this morning, and I know that, that uh, we have in this journey looked not just at where Jesus was, but we also took time to look at how he got there, realizing the vessels that were used by God to put him in that place. And we saw in that first message, not just that Jesus was put in, in the womb, but we saw why the vessel was so important, why putting his seed in, in a human woman was so incredibly important for the purpose of redemption. So we took time to look at that vessel. Last week, we took time to look at the manger scene and, and what it represented. What were the pictures that God was showing us about the plan and the purpose of that child? We saw that Jesus, wrapped in, in, in tightly bound clothes, placed in a cave, if you will, was the same way in which he left in his death, was wrapped tightly and placed in a cave. Just as his beginning, there were very few spectators that were there also at his death, there were very few spectators that followed the body all the way to the cave. And this morning we are going to take a moment and look at the vessels also that brought Jesus to the temple. Because ultimately we can say, yes, it was God, yes, it was his hand of providence. But let us, let us notice in particular the two vessels that brought him to the place. And remember this. That Jesus was delivered. This is the first point of focus this morning. Jesus was delivered to the temple by, by godly parents. Jesus was delivered to the temple by very dedicated parents. Now, of course, when we, when we read over the Christmas story, when I'm telling you this morning that Jesus was taken to church shortly after he was able to be able to be there, that, that doesn't surprise us. We would probably expect Jesus to be taken there as soon as the law would require. Some 40 days had passed for Mary's purification so that she could come back into the temple and associate into fellowship and be a part again of the religious customs and, of the relig and to meet the requirements of the law. But I want you to just take one, st one, one, one moment and back away from the story. Just take everything you know about the fact that Jesus should have been there, that his parents, they should have taken him there, and remember something, that Jesus is and was the only holy person that has ever lived. Mary and Joseph, no, no matter how much they were blessed, no matter how much Mary was favored, she was still a sinner. She delivered the very package that was sent to deliver her. So it doesn't matter how, how much we think and, and the expectations that we have on Mary and Joseph that they should have done those things. The fact is that they still accomplished what was required of them. They still were dedicated parents. Now, here's one of the reasons why I say this. Was that it is easy in my life to look at my blessings and favor that I've received from God. 
and use it sometimes as an occasion to get lazy in my spiritual life. God warned His children when He brought them up out of Egypt, and just as they were standing on the doorstep ready to go and and inhabit and inherit the promised land, God made sure through the mouth of Moses that they knew that this great blessing and this great favor that He was giving them in houses that they didn't have to build, wells that they didn't have to dig, and gardens that they didn't have to provide, knowing that He was giving them and showing them so many blessings and favor in providing for them this prime real estate, God God said, I don't want you to forget that it's me that gave it to you. I don't want you to walk into this place and inherit all of the great things that I've given you and focus so much on the gift and forget about the giver who gave it to you. God required of them obedience. God required of them faithfulness. And the same is true with Mary and Joseph. Here they have received a blessing, a a, a special favor from God in in, in really the most remarkable of ways. I mean, indeed, Abraham is the father of the faithful. Indeed, through him, all nations of the earth shall be blessed. No doubt, Abraham plays a, a huge role and has a huge recognition of his name throughout all of the world because of what God did. But I'll tell you what, I cannot think of another honor given among humans that has risen to such a standard as Mary being chosen by God to be the womb that would bring the deliverer into the world. That is a tremendously high honor that God gave her. But even with that great honor, even recognizing all of the favor that God had bestowed, even the great rich blessing that God provided for that family, they did not use it as an occasion to sin. They did not say, well, we have been blessed greatly by God, so therefore we will continue to live our lives the way we want, recognizing that God has already blessed us. They took the blessings and the favor of God as something of a point of dedication in their life. You see, if anything, when we look at the life of Mary and Joseph, it shouldn't surprise us that they were so good and dedicated to the Lord to fulfill all of the requirements of the law in the circumcision, in the dedication, in the redemption price of the pigeons or turtle doves. It should not surprise us that they strive to keep the letter of the law to the nth degree in that special prize that they had. Now guys, here's something I, wanna, I just want to share before we move on. Even though they had received a special blessing even though mary indeed was highly favored in that she was able to be chosen to be the one the womb uh, the vessel that would bring uh, the seed to life even though that was the case i am reminded that each one of us that has children have also been blessed each one of us that has been blessed to to have the womb that produces or to be able to adopt to be able to have that child that we are responsible for and entrusted with is a tremendous blessing of God and i tell you that on christmas we would do a very good favor to ourselves to say god you have blessed me you have entrusted me with a child or children God, you have, you have made it so in my life and in my family that I have someone in whom I am responsible for, not just physically, but even more so, I am responsible for them spiritually. And God, I hope, I pray that each one of us, 
as parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles or guardians in whatever way that we have a relationship with that next generation that we may say, God, don't let me take these blessings and just sit back and live a life of lack spiritual growth. But help me, God, follow in the same footsteps of, of the mother and the stepfather of Jesus. And then they came into the place And they continued to live lives of faithfulness. They continued to live lives of devotion to God, making sure that everything that was required of them in their relationship with their child to the best of their abilities was met. Christmas is not just a message about the package. Christmas is also a message about the vessels that brought that package into place. And when we look at Mary and Joseph, 40 days now, she's been purified. She's followed the law to the degree she is now, her and Joseph are now taking Jesus into the temple to present him. He's already been circumcised. All of the requirements have now been met. We see the wisdom, the wisdom in God's decision to use those two to be major, impact, major factors in the early life. Of Jesus. May we also use our blessings as a purpose, a point of dedication in our life. Some of you may not even have children yet, and you may, some of you may not ever have children, but we have a responsibility to use whatever blessings, whatever favor that God has, has shown us that we are so undeserving of, to use it as a place of dedication in our life. Say, God, help me live up to the favor that you've shown me. Help me live up and dedicate myself in light of the the tremendous blessings that you have placed at my feet. Jesus was brought into the temple. Of course, we expect him to be there. But he was delivered to the temple by very dedicated parents. I want you to notice for a moment the second thing. He wasn't just delivered to the temple by dedicated parents. But he was detected, second thing, he was detected by some faithful followers or faithful believers. This is a, for some, this is one of their favorite songs of the five songs that are sung throughout the Gospels. There's the song of Elizabeth, there's the song of Mary, there's the song of Zechariah, uh, there's the song of the angels, and then here is the song of Simeon. And for many, they hold this song very dear to their heart. This man, the Bible says, was a very devout man. Now, we don't know. We assume that he is an older man because he's now saying that he can die in peace. Tradition says that he was 113 years old. That's a long time, guys. He has celebrated a lot of Passovers. He has seen a lot of Passover lambs come and go. No doubt, if he was 113 That's old. Now, that's not in the Bible. That's just Jewish tradition. And we assume that he's old because of his statement that your servant can now depart in peace. But despite all of those things, notice something. He was still a faithful follower of God. 
He was one who had looked, knowing that, man, it's got to come soon. God's plan of redemption, God's mission of sending the Messiah is going to happen soon. And this man lived his life in close connection with God. He was a man who loved God, who was dedicated to God. And as he's out there that day, as Mary and Joseph are now bringing the Messiah into the temple, the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God speaks to Simeon. And whatever he says, let Simeon know that the long-awaited one has arrived. For Simeon, this is music to his ears. God had already told him, Simeon, you're not going to die before you see him. Simeon's been looking, and now God, on that day, 40 days after he was born, 40 days after the declaration of the angels, 40 days after the messengers and the shepherds had gone out, Simeon now hears from God, he's here. I wonder... I wonder if that message of what the Holy Spirit communicated to Simeon was, he's arrived. He is here. You'll find him in the temple. Because you see, every time God announced the birth of Jesus, they always told them what happened and where he was. What happened and where he was. Oh, what sweet music to the sound of Simeon's ears. For the Holy Spirit to say, get to the temple today because your eyes are going to see the consolation of Israel. You are going to have the opportunity to behold the Messiah. The Christ of God is being carried into the temple right now. Get there. I want you to notice with me for a moment his song. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. By the way, let the let the first line in the song of Simeon be your motto. Make sure that you have met Christ before you depart. As Simeon knew, as God had told him he would not die before he had seen Christ, we are not guaranteed that promise we must seek him while he may be found we must trust in him and and draw near to him while he is near while he is communicating to our heart while he is revealing himself as our lord and savior if you've never trusted christ i pray that you would be able to repeat the same words of simeon that moment when you are breathing your last that moment when your last chapter is about to be written and there's about to be a period at the end of your last sentence, may you be able to utter those same words that your servant God may now depart in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. Do not leave this world without having, without possessing salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Notice what he says after he goes on this uh, first voice of praise to God. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. First, he recognized the Redeemer. He saw that God kept His word. Simeon, you're not going to die before you see Him, so keep looking. God leads him to Jesus. He recognizes Him. He recognized that He was indeed the Redeemer. But notice the second thing that he says. It's, It's an interesting component. He says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. 
he says all peoples and Gentiles. And then lastly, he says Israel. He mentions all of the other nations of the world, all of the other tribes, all of the other tongues, all of the other ethnic groups in the world he mentions before he ever mentions Israel. Simeon had an idea, had an understanding that the purpose of Christ and the scope of this salvation was something that went well beyond the consolation of Israel. He recognized that this king that is born, the Messiah, is not just the one who is going to redeem Israel. This is the one in whom every knee will bow and tongue will confess. This is the one who around his throne in heaven will have a representative of every tribe, nation, and tongue. Simeon realized that this king was not just the king of the Jews. He was to be the king of kings and lord of lords. There has always, always, from Genesis through Revelation, there has always been this constant thread of the universal need of salvation and the universality of the king. Do you remember when God made His promise with Abraham, the father of the faithful, when God made His promise to Abraham, He said, In you, Abraham, all nations of the earth will be blessed. All nations of the earth right now today are being blessed because of Christ. Christ, who ultimately was of the lineage of Abraham, is which why God was saying those words, that through Christ, through Abraham's loins would raise up Christ, and from Christ all nations of the earth will be blessed because every Nation, tribe, and tongue will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may remember when the angels, in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, when the angels announced to the shepherds that Christ has been born, they say that this is for all people. Not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile. For those of that tribe and for those in that region, for those of high degree and those of low degree, Jesus is literally, was literally, and is literally today the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings for all the world. He was not just aware of the scope of His salvation, but He was aware of His mission. Look with me for a moment in verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the rise, excuse me, for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Let me stop there. This child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. The way this is originally written, there's no indicator that he's speaking of two different groups. In its original language, that was one group. Now, take yourselves for a moment and place yourselves in the position of Mary. You, you, you obviously know who this child is. You are doing your best to make sure that you are meeting all of the requirements of the law. You're doing everything that God would expect you to do as a parent. And you're going into the temple, and here comes this man, and he walks up. He sees now that this is the Messiah, and he grabs him. How many of you parents would be freaking out right now? 
that some man you don't even know has just come up and grabbed your baby. All right, let's assume that she didn't freak out and that it was okay. He now takes the baby in his arms, the Bible says, and he starts talking about how this child is a glory to all of the world, not just the Redeemer of Israel, but his scope and his reach of, of who he is is going to affect every person in the world. That has to be good news. I mean, think about it. Can you imagine the bumper sticker that they had on the back of their donkey? My child is an honor student at Joplin High School. Any bumper sticker you can think of would pale in comparison to the bumper sticker that would have been slapped on the back of the donkey that my child is the savior of the world. They only made one of those, by the way. Mary and Joseph got that one. My child is the King of kings and Lord of lords. My child will cause, through, his, through who he is, will cause every knee to bow and every tongue to confess. And if you think about it, everything up to this point has been awesome. I mean, everything up, up to this point as a parent, you know that when anybody ever talks about how good your children are, you swell up. You get so excited. You get so proud. You are so full of life and excitement and joy when someone's talking about your children. And here, Simeon is talking about how this child is great. He's going to bless all nations. And then, he says, this child, is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. If you notice, when I read that the first time, I read it wrong. There's a reason. When we use those words, fall and rise, we flip them. We talk about someone's rise and fall, don't we? Simeon didn't talk about their rise and fall. He said this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel. Can I tell you something? Every one of us who has trusted Christ as our Savior who has become born again through the precious blood of Jesus. Every one of us has experienced those very words that Simeon spoke. You see, in order to be saved, what needs to happen is we must come to grips with our sin. Before we can ever be saved, before we would ever recognize our need of a Savior, we have to realize that there is sin in our life and that that sin has separated us from God. And when we come to God, we don't come to Him initially in victory. We come to Him with this list of failures saying, God, I've messed up. God, I've sinned in my life. God, I am unable to meet the requirements of Your law. God, I am unable to be righteous like You demand and You desire. We don't come to Christ initially victoriously. We come to Christ as moral failures because of our sin. And we declare that to Him. We say, God, I'm a sinner. I've missed Your mark. We fall first. And as we fall, as we declare to Him our own inability to save ourselves, as we declare to Him that we are morally bankrupt, we then ask Him 
to forgive us. That we are so dependent on His redemption for our life. God purchased me because I can't purchase myself. Every one of us that has come to Christ has fallen first. And then risen. Humbled. And then exalted. Brought low and then lifted high. Set down and then exalted. That's how it worked then. And that's how it works now. Simeon prophesied that this child is not just the king of kings, but he is going to be responsible for a lot of people getting low. And then they're going to be brought back up. Praise God, the same God who humbles also exalts. The same God who brings us to the place of abasement also brings us to the place of exaltation in time. Amen? Notice the last words that Simeon says. He again took them up very high, blessing, recognizing the universal scope and effect and reach of this child. And then he says that he's going to be serving in the purpose of making many fall and then rising. And then he says, and he will be a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, implying that a sword will pierce through his soul too. And you mothers know all about this. You fathers probably have an idea of what's being said. I shared with you once before that Hawkins has a lot of cousins his age. And when we go to family functions, since, since all the other cousins live in the same town, they're all real close. And Hawkins is the one who, who doesn't live right in town. So he, he doesn't always get to, to, to hang with them. And, and their, their interaction sometimes is a little different. And, and there have been several times that when, they're, when he's playing with all the other cousins, uh, the cousins that are all in the same town sometimes will gang up and, and, and exclude him from things. And, and, it's, and it, as a parent, when you see that, and, and you see them shutting the door on him and leaving him out by himself, or, or telling him that, that they don't want him to play with them and excluding him from things, it breaks your heart as, as a parent. You, you want to make sure that your child is, is being accepted. You want to make sure that your child is, in, is, in, is, is having fun, is being able to relate. You want your child to be accepted. You don't want your child to be an outcast. And, and when I think of those words of what, of what Simeon is saying to Mary and Joseph, He's saying that this child is not just going to have a universal scope. This child is not going to play a major role in affecting people by bringing them down and humbling them and then exalting some. He is now saying that this child is going to be highly persecuted. This child is going to be a sign that is going to be spoken against. He's saying that this child is going to be one whom there are going to be many people on the other side that are going to be railing against this child. Now think about this. As a parent, you have just seen both sides of this. You have just gone from the heights of elation, hearing the declaration of Simeon that he will be blessed and that he will bless all the people in the world, down to the last fact that this child is going to be a stone of stumbling, 
Guys, we don't have to look far to see this prophecy is still true today. We don't have to look far. Let me, let me, t- let me read this one more time. This child is destined for the rise and fall of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Is Christ, I'll let you answer this, is Christ today still a sign, a person, a symbol that is spoken against? Nobody thinks that Christ is a symbol, a person who is spoken against. Let me try it one more time. Is Christ spoken against today? Seven people now are in agreement that Christ is spoken against. I won't belabor the point. I think we understand. Just as He was set up as light, darkness continued to invade. Even the religious leaders of the time sought to try to shut Him up, sought to kill Him, sought to do away with this man who was speaking words of conviction. Just as that light that He was speaking, the light of His presence, the light of His work was revealing the darkness in the hearts. And rather than turning to that light and trusting that light in the revelation of sin to deal with sin, they rather hardened themselves to the light and continued to live in darkness. Simeon is sharing some very difficult words with his, with his mom, telling him that just as a sword is going to pierce his own soul, as the hearts of many people will be revealed, as anger, as bitterness, as envy, as sin is going to be revealed, and you're going to see them attack him. It's going to be just like a sword is shoved into your soul, just like it is for him. Simeon recognized the Redeemer. He recognized the scope of His salvation. He was aware of His mission and He prophesied that this child was going to be one who was spoken against. He prophesied of the serious persecution that was going to follow Christ all of the days of His earthly life. I want you to notice not just the first dedicated person in Simeon, but I want you to notice the second one. Anna. Verse 36 Now there was one Anna, the prophetess, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of Him to all those who looked for the redemption of Israel. Let's look at Anna for a moment. Simeon, we don't know how old he is. We assume that he's aged by his request that he could die now. Um, but, but Anna, we know her age. She is an older lady. And I want you to consider something of her faithfulness. For 84 years, she was spending that time in fastings and praying. She was continuing to serve the Lord in the temple. And we understand from this verse... That she was not just fasting and praying. She was not just diligent in her religious uh, duties. She was also one of devout character towards God. And she would come into this temple and we realized that she was going out communicating to people who shared her her own desire to see the Redeemer come. She was one who was looking 
Much like Simeon and others of that time, they were looking for the Messiah, knowing that it was going to happen. And now I'm sure at this point they had heard on some level this message that had gone out from the shepherds. So no doubt, everyone who was looking was relatively excited. And unlike unlike Simeon, Anna found herself in the temple. There's nowhere in here does it say that Anna was led by the Spirit of God to that very place at that very moment. There is no correlation between any specific leadership of the Holy Spirit and Anna's location. It just says that Anna was in the temple that day. Two very different people beheld Christ in the temple that day. One in Simeon was, knew the Word of God. He said that God had told him that he would not die till he saw, and he believed that Word. He was sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and he was obedient to the will of God. When the Holy Spirit said, go to the temple, he went to the temple. So he knew the Word of God, he was sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and he was obedient to the will of God, and he got to behold the face of Christ. Anna, on the other hand, was just there. Not to take anything away from God's design, but there's nothing to indicate that the Spirit led her there. But let me tell you something of the wisdom of Anna. If we understand her to be one who was looking for the Messiah, awaiting Him, she was indeed a very wise, wise woman. Dedicated all of her life to be in the temple of God. Why is that of any importance? Anna would have known, as I said in the introduction this morning, we expect Christ to be in the temple. We would expect the Son of God to be in the temple of God of the day. And Anna is very wise. She knows, I'm looking for the Messiah. I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life to spending it in the temple. And we know that the Son of God is going to show up here someday. She put herself in the best possible place to see the Messiah. She may not have had a vast religious degree. She was definitely not one of the religious elite of the day. But she used what resources she had, formulated a plan, and found herself in the place where the Messiah was that she had been looking for for so long. The Old Testament required for something to be proven, for something to be proven in a case, You had to have at least two witnesses. If you were going to try to prove your case, if you were going to try to to sue someone for something, whatever it was, if you were trying to justify your case, the law required that you have at least two witnesses. Think with me for a moment. Here the Son of God makes His first appearance In the temple of God. And in the temple of God that day. When the anointed one. The Messiah. The redeemer of Israel. The light to the Gentiles. At that moment the greatest event. In human history. God ordained. That there would be two witnesses. That would come forth. To herald 
the news that his son had been born. One was led there by the Spirit of God. The other found themselves there as a result of great planning. And God used both of these people. Now, stick with me for just one moment. I want to draw it down to this. Why am I making much about these two witnesses? We still would have known that He is the Messiah had God not provided at least two witnesses. We could say that the shepherds were witnesses. The wise men were witnesses. But this is a specific moment in the temple when we would expect God to herald in the announcement of His Son. And notice who He uses. A man who has no professional religious title. And a widow who is not known for her position, but rather her devotion. Isn't this awesome? I mean, let's take this piece just here. Let's just take this piece of these two witnesses that are there in the temple and plug it back in to this beautiful array that God has showed us. When he was born, he was born and placed where? In the womb of a human. And in that womb, where did that womb give birth? Where did that womb open? God saw fit in His divine providence to make that child born not in a temple of gold, but in a manger of straw surrounded by farm animals. The most base of all human existence. Here, He set Him in this lowly estate. Who did He reveal it to in the very beginning? It was shepherds. Not the religious elite, not the, not, not the political power brokers of the day. He sent the message to humble shepherds who were living out in the fields. And they came. He goes into the temple. Well, certainly God, in announcing His Son is here, He would have the high priest. <coughs> certainly He would make sure that all of the kings and, and, all of the, and all of the political leaders and power brokers of the day, no doubt they would be there, one flanking His right and the other His left. No! We have an old man who was devoted to God and a woman who had no religious position but incredible religious relational devotion to God. Here they stood, an old lady on one side and a man on the other, one saying, I can die, the other going out telling everybody to live. Here, a senior citizen and a senior citizen flanking Christ who had no professional religious title. When we look at the entire Christmas story. It doesn't stand out. It fits right into the mold of how God had drawn this whole thing up. Greatest event in human history. And by far, more people went about not realizing it happened than did. God invited shepherds, just a few. God drew wise men from the east. God provided two witnesses to herald the birth of His Son. In people that had this story, not, that Luke not documented their names, we would never know them. Wow. Here's what I'm telling you. 
throughout the entire Christmas story. And everywhere I see Christ, in the womb, or in the manger, or in the temple, I see Him surrounded not by the religious elite. I see Him not surrounded by the political power brokers of the day. I see Him surrounded by people who simply loved God and believed His Word. Guys, let me tell you something. The God who so intricately drew up this plan before the foundation of the world today is not looking for the religious elite. He is not looking for how much power, pull, prestige, or possessions you have. He is looking for those who are humble. He is looking for those who want to know Him. In your life, I believe God cares less about what you're doing and cares more about who you're doing it for. And I believe in our life we can take a valuable lesson of the greatest, the greatest event in human history. And surrounding this entire event were ordinary people who loved and believed an extraordinary God. Today, you might be in a place where you feel like all of your religious activity is going to earn you a place of prominence with God. And that's not true. Nowhere can we earn our salvation or earn a place with God. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that. And maybe you're so, you may be more wrapped up in what you're doing than who you're doing it for. Remember the Christmas story, the people that were there and got to experience the inner workings of the birth of Christ were people who had no official title, no great religious attachments to their name. They were people who heard, who were humble, and who believed. And I want to ask you this morning, right now, when God examines your heart as He does, as He searches the crevices and the corners of our life, of our heart, what kind of a person are we in here? Not what kind of a person do we think we are or do we tell ourselves that we are, but under God's own interview, in His grand interrogation of our life, who are we to Him? Who is He to us? I pray that if you do not know Jesus, you would say those same words today. You would be able to walk out those doors saying, God, you can let your servant depart in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. If you've never known Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've never entered into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to make that happen. You can do that. You can know that today, December 18th, you started your journey with Christ. And maybe some others have already been on that journey. You started that journey. But you've been wrapped up in feeling like you needed to earn a place with God. Feeling like you needed to do certain things in order to please Him. That's not true. 
The Bible says that it is by grace we are saved through faith. We don't earn our salvation and we can't keep ourselves saved. He is the one who keeps us. Allow the works that we do be based simply off of a heart of humility that believes what he says and acts in faith. Whatever your decision this morning, salvation. Maybe you realize that you've been saved and you've never followed God in the first step of obedience, which is baptism. Maybe you say, God, I've been feeling like I've been thinking in my life that I was, that I was really accomplishing things. And, and God, I realize today that I have not been obedient to the very first thing that you asked me to do. I'm not doing it, God, to earn a place with you. I'm doing it because, God, I want to honor your name in baptism. I want to associate with other believers. I want to preach the gospel through this act of baptism. I want to show everybody out there what you did inside of me at the day of my salvation. Maybe you're separated from a local church and not involved in the work of God throughout all of the world, making His name known. Maybe that's you this morning and you say, I want to get involved with the church. I want to partner with this local church in doing the same work that Anna did, going out and telling the world that the Redeemer has come. That's what we're a part of. That's what we're about. Maybe it's a rededication. You say, God, I've been wrapped up in so many things. God, I'm tied up in sin right now. I'm held captive right now. God, I need you to help me break the bonds of that sin that is tying me down. And God, I trust that you'll give me that victory today. Maybe you just simply need to come and pray. You've got things weighing on your life and on your heart. Sin, maybe there are requests in your heart right now that you just can't go another moment. You cannot bear to take another step walking out without having come to a place of a spiritual marker in your life to say, God, I'm bending a knee right here and I'm committing this to you in prayer. Whatever your need is this morning, I pray that you would feel that you would take care of that business that God has placed on your heart. I'm going to pray and as soon as I say amen, the altar will be open and you can come and do whatever business needs to be done. Father, I thank you that in your story so great, It is made up of people who played major roles without any great titles. God, you use shepherds. You use men from a country we don't even know. God, you used a manger. You sanctified a stable for your son. God, you placed two people in the temple that day who were, by all accounts, ordinary people who loved an extraordinary God. And today, God, you still use ordinary people for your purpose. We thank you, God, that you are not just high and holy, but you are able to incorporate us in your plan. You delight in bringing us apart along with you. You delight, Lord, in saving us and placing your name on us. And help us, Lord, to recognize that that is the greatest calling in all of the world. Help us follow the the leadership of Anna and go out and bear your name share with the world that Christ has come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.